2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum, I'm Scott Schaefer. In the past three years, California spent about $13 billion to address homelessness. But a new report from the state auditor says how that money was spent isn't being tracked very well. Auditors describe a fragmented approach that's just not very effective. We'll discuss the audit's findings and recommendations. Then later in the hour, longtime journalist Katherine Seligman joins us to talk about her novel, At the Edge of the Hate, as in Hate Ashbury. It delves into the world of young homeless people living in and around Golden Gate Park. That's all ahead on forum right after this news. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Scott Schaefer. And as you might have heard, longtime Forum host Michael Krasny has retired. Mina Kim has been named the permanent host of the statewide 10 to 11 o'clock hour. Eventually, we will find a permanent new host for this 9 o'clock hour. But for now, we hope to bring you and we will bring you lots of voices and perspectives in the first hour, including this hour where we turn to our topic, homelessness. A new report from the State Auditor on how California is handling and mishandling the homelessness crisis. It finds that state and regional agencies that provide housing and services simply do not keep track of where billions of dollars are going. They also fail to follow federal guidelines and are so fragmented that they fail to get people into stable housing. Joining us to talk about the new report are Erin Baldessari, KQED housing reporter, she's also co-host of Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, and Christopher Martin, Policy Director of Housing California, a nonprofit advocacy organization. Christopher and Erin, welcome.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, to people like you and anyone really who pays attention to these kinds of issues, it's not a surprise, I guess, that our homelessness uh, policies aren't working perfectly, but uh, Aaron, starting with you, uh, what struck you about the audit?
3: You know, it really just highlights uh, and and it makes very clear how disjointed the uh, the administration of services is for homelessness in California. You know, it points out that there are nine state agencies that administer over forty one different programs, but there is no single entity that. Uh, oversees all of them. And this has been a problem that's been known since 1989, when there was a commission that looked at this very issue, and yet it's never been addressed. And I think, you know, that really highlights just the lack of uh, state leadership um, that around homelessness. Obviously, Governor Gavin Newsom has made homelessness a top priority. And I think that we are starting to see some of that uh, top-down leadership. But, you um, you know, there are still these um, gaps and uh, inconsistencies and, uh, you know, disjointed nature of the way that homeless programs are administered. And uh, that's not leading to the best outcomes.
2: And Christopher, uh, this is not something that happens overnight, where you've got 41 different programs uh, and duplication, lack of coordination. So is this a case of just different layers being placed on top of each other uh, over the years, over the decades, maybe? Well,
1: I think it, um, it's partially that, but partially also just the, the multi-sector nature in which our, you know, our homelessness crisis plays out, um, you know, being that so many different facets of, of our state government um, interacts with, with the, the homeless system from, from the correction system to the, to the hospitals and healthcare system um, to, to social services with foster care and just the multi-sector nature in that. Um, but that just highlights even more the need for what this auditor uh, is pointing out, which is to have some authority at our homeless coordinating and financing council to to be able to coordinate those state agencies. The the very you know very multi sector nature in which our state um, uh, has to address this issue kind of calls for the need for a centralized um, you know response, which would be you know kind of what the auditor is pointing out. And um, in, in that, we need to to think through how we can. Coordinate those resources to avoid that duplication of services and make sure we're using our resources that we do have—the very limited resources we do have—to the to the best of our ability.
2: Yeah, and as you suggest, the uh, the uh, recommend one of the recommendations from the audit is that uh, more authority and responsibility be granted to this homeless coordinating and financing council that was created in 2017 when. Jerry Brown was governor, but they're also saying that they lack the authority to compel state agencies to make policy or to share spending data. So, uh, Christopher, would would that need to be part of sort of top-down edicts, I guess, from the governor and others in the administration?
1: Yeah, I think they, you know, the Coordinating Council themselves have, have called for that, that they need they need that authority to be able to coordinate those agencies. You know, additionally... Another piece of it, um, the the coordinating council started um, in in one quote unquote area of state government and then was moved to a different area of state government and, you know, we think it's it's necessary to think through um, maybe you know giving them the higher level of authority to be able to coordinate those agencies um, because you know right now they they don't necessarily necessarily have that uh, ability to to track other programs to coordinate with other state agencies um, at, at this moment. And that that's key for, for any kind of homelessness programming is to be able to track those resources, track those needs and be able to use data to drive decision-making. Um, and right now they don't have the authority to do that.
2: You know, the job of the state auditor is not to uh, review something and say everything's great. I mean, their job is to sort of find problems, make recommendations. And Aaron, I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, to what extent uh, are they saying that the money is being wasted? Or are they just saying, you know, this could be better, that could be better. You're going in the right direction, but here's how to, to get there faster. Well,
3: it's unclear if, you know, the money isn't being used efficiently is what they're saying. Um, Not necessarily that it's being wasted, but that it's not producing the results that we would want to see from this kind of funding. So they looked at some other states that do have a more coordinated, centralized approach, uh, Washington, Maryland, and Virginia, and found that, you know, in Maryland and Virginia, both of those states realized reductions in the number of people who are homeless over the past five years. And in Washington, the number the, the number of people who are homeless grew, but at a much slower rate than in California. so 11% in that state compared to 31% in California. And you know what they're saying is that by uh, having this type of data uh, and reviewing which programs are successful, you can more efficiently target those dollars and see which programs are working and then double down on the programs that are working and get rid of the programs that aren't working.
2: We're talking about the new Homeless Audit and uh, some of the issues around implementing an efficient an effective homeless policy in California. My guests are Christopher Martin from Housing California and Aaron Baldessari, KQED's housing reporter. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, What are your thoughts about the way California is addressing homelessness? What questions might you have for our guests? Give us a call now. This is a roughly a half-hour segment, a little bit more than that, but you can call in now. We'll take your calls at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. Or if you prefer, you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email us, if you like, forum at kqed.org. Um, you know, Christopher, uh, as Aaron was saying, uh, you know, California's problem with homelessness is growing. It's growing faster than some of these other states that were named in the audits. The audit is being sort of exemplary, Virginia, Maryland, Washington. But you can't, you can't really talk about this topic without talking about the cost of living, the cost of housing, in particular in California, right?
1: Absolutely. You know, um, I think uh, as we've we've seen play out here in California, the, the cost of housing is a direct correlation to, to our increasing homelessness crisis. You know, um, there was a, a report from uh, Los Angeles recently that showed um, over 50 percent of the people that were newly homeless, the, you know, facing their first episode of, of homelessness. Um, they cited of cost of living being the number one reason economic hardship, uh, you know, more broadly, that uh, that caused them to fall into homelessness um, you know and and it, it just c- continues to exacerbate itself here during COVID as as renters across the state are facing challenges and, and we're facing an economic downturn where people are continuing to to struggle here um, so you know the the crisis is certainly much more here in California um, which makes responding to it even more challenging um, as we look at you know trying to 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 both build the amount of affordable housing we need but also provide the resources for those that are, are trying to exit homelessness in the short term as well.
2: And, Aaron, what did you find in, in the excellent uh, podcast you've, you've done, uh, Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America? What are some of the, I mean, there are a lot of causes that ho- housing is so expensive in California. Some are, you know, somewhat beyond our control, the cost of land, for example. But what are some policies that uh, the state or city either could adopt or tried to adopt and couldn't, you know, that would address some of these cost issues?
3: Uh, well that's you know, a big question I, mean, when, <laughs> I realize yeah when we're thinking about the cost of housing in general um you know there's a lot of you know causes for why it's you know housing is so expensive um you know obviously the cost of construction is um very high labor is very expensive in california and to some extent that's a product of the fact that the cost of living is so high um you know but You know, it also takes a very long time for um, housing projects to um, get approved. Um, There's a lot of regulatory hurdles. um, And some of those things could be addressed,
2: right? I mean, there have been, like you mentioned, regulation. I mean, CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act, has been used to stop not just housing, but a lot of projects that have nothing to do or little to do with the environment. I mean, but these these are entrenched policies, right?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, the governor, to his credit, has been... uh, Looking at some of that streamlining um, with the Project Roomkey um, effort, which was an effort to house homeless people during the pandemic, particularly people who were over the age of 65 and medically vulnerable to the virus, Um, there was some legislation to waive SQL requirements for uh, hotel, um, you know, to to use those sites as um, sort of temporary homeless shelters and also to convert them into permanent housing. And the proposal, uh, you know, the governor is doubling down on this proposal uh, this year uh, to convert hotels, motels, and other types of buildings into homeless housing. And part of that will be, you know, waiving CEQA to ensure a speedy uh, approval process. Um, You you know, there's not much to be done about uh, the sort of uh, NIMBY attitudes. Um, There was one project in uh, Marin County that was um, slated to be used for homeless housing that was rejected because of Opposition from neighbors—that's um, a little harder one to overcome because you're really trying to change the, the hearts and minds of residents who are fearful about what will happen if there is a, uh, you know, low-income or um, you know, affordable housing in their community. Um, although I should say that the evidence, uh, you know, bears out that it it does not, re- you know, increase crime, um, and depending on the type of housing, it has very little effects on property yeah. values but you know, that, that attitude is very, um, prevalent in California and, uh, you know, folks are very vocal about it. So that's um, a challenging
2: one. It is. And of course, you layer on top of all of this, the pandemic and the number of people being evicted or facing eviction. And uh, of course, some of the lofty goals that Governor Newsom put in place or Gavin Newsom when he was running for governor uh, have really fallen short. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more with our guests, Aaron Baldessari, KQED housing reporter, and Christopher Martin from Housing California when we return after a quick break. Again, if you'd like to join us, it's six. 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Homelessness and housing are topics this hour. More to come. Stay with us. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here and talking this hour about homelessness, a new audit from the state, not high grades for California in terms of how it's spending the money. Give us a call if you would like to weigh in. It's 866-733-6786. Our guests Aaron Baldessari from KQED and Christopher Martin from Housing California. And let's go to Adam in San Francisco. You're first. Welcome.
0: Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm hoping that the guest, I, I don't know what the report actually states about um, addiction as well as mental uh, health issues. But it seems that as we focus on housing for homelessness, it creates a situation where there's very little ownership, there's very little accountability, and there's just a lot of hand-wringing about availability. So can the speakers speak to, you know, how much of the homeless population in California or in San Francisco actually would be served by affordable housing? Uh, Because there are other populations of homeless that would seemingly have to deal with addiction as well as mental health to, to really take advantage
2: of them. Well, that's a great question, and in fact, let me use that question to transition into another report, which was in the San Francisco Public Press uh, this week, which says that nearly one out of ten of every San Francisco permanent supportive housing unit—and that's exactly the kind of housing that uh, Adam is referring to—the need for to give people supportive services who maybe have addiction problems or mental health problems—that one out of ten of those units are are, are vacant. So. Aaron, what does that tell you?
3: I think it's really emblematic of this larger issue that the audit points out, which is the disjointed nature of the delivery of homeless services in the state. And, you know, what the caller pointed out, um, you know, needing to in- incorporate health services with housing is certainly key. And I think that that is also what the audit is pointing out. Um, you know, For example if you're building uh let's say permanent supportive housing with the type of addiction services on site that might be needed for some of the the people staying there you know you have to go to one agency to get funding to build the actual building you have to go to another agency to get a grant to operate the services maybe you have to go to to uh, another state agency to to get uh addiction support services and mental health services And so with this lack of coordination, that makes all of that much harder because they have, each grant has a different timeline, maybe one's due in June, another's due in March, the other's due in October, they have different reporting requirements, and it becomes much more onerous for these organizations that are also trying to deliver the services and build the actual building to get all of that done when they're trying to navigate this very confusing, uh, overlapping uh, process where you're going to different agencies to get one project built, whether that's a you know a building or um, or or just trying to offer services to someone.
2: Yeah, Christopher, what would you add to that? I, I know folks who work for affordable housing. Uh, agencies, and they'll tell me, for example, they get frustrated in San Francisco in particular, but probably elsewhere, where they go to one agency, say the planning department, and they get one answer about something, and then the fire department tells them something different in terms of what the codes are, and so they have to kind of start over, or it delays things. I mean, you know, for for a city and a state that says it wants to do better, it just seems like there, is, there are a lot of stumbling blocks still.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, um, Aaron Aaron hit it on the head in that, you know, we're, we really need to kind of get to the effort of of almost like a uh, similar to the term of like a one-stop shop where people can come um, and be able to access those resources and streamline this effort and line up our applications and, and resources because, you know, we we certainly have quite a disjointed system and it gets to the point of um, the need for that, that kind of higher level of authority for uh, the Homeless Coordinating and Financing Council to to not only um, coordinate those resources, but I but identify those resources. You know, that was one of the things that the coordinating council was tasked with back in, in the the uh, the originating bill SB 1380, which was to identify the resources we have available to address homelessness throughout our state. And and you know that that feels like the first step we need to do, which is to kind of assess what we have and what the need we have is, and then coordinate those resources. Um, and be able to do that. We've, we've seen efforts that have played out over the past, you know, uh, few years around the coordination between health services and housing, most notably, you know, the No Place Like Home Act, which uh, passed as Proposition 2 a couple years ago, which was really looking at, at, at uh, mental illness and, and, uh, and supportive housing um, and, and making those connections. But, but we certainly, you know, need to, to be doing that on a more regular basis. Um, with all of our, our funding streams and making sure that we're utilizing both the the health services, the substance use treatment, you know, um, you know, even workforce development services and um, and other other um, needs that folks will have to be self sustainable, but also you know successful in supportive housing um, and maintaining that housing. So it, it's it's absolutely critical to to provide the council that authority and be able to do those those kind of efforts.
2: Lots of folks want to weigh in this morning, and let's go down the Central Coast to Watsonville. And Lisa, you're next. Welcome.
0: Hi. Um, I'm in Oakland, actually. Oh, but, um, okay.
2: Well, hello.
1: That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Hello. I just wanted to talk about a barrier that no one seems to be talking about, and personally have experienced this. As far as homelessness, like I'm trying to rent an apartment as a single parent, and I don't have a credit score that's worthy enough, or I don't make three times the monthly rent. And that's what rental properties are asking for. Who makes three times their monthly rent? Like, no one. And it's a huge barrier. If I didn't have another resource, I could technically be homeless because mm. of that. Because mm-hmm. I don't have good credit. And especially after this pandemic, a lot of people's credit scores are going to be decimated. Like, mm. it is just not a sustainable way to vet applicants and can someone speak to that and why is no one talking about that cuz it's a huge huge barrier for me and many many other
0: people
2: That is a great point. Aaron, uh, thoughts on that?
1: I
3: I feel the caller, you know, as a as a renter myself, it is exhausting looking for, you know, whenever you have to look for a new place to live and, you know, unfortunately because a lot of rental a lot of the rental stock is in the private market there's you know I don't know legally what the state could you know allow in terms of uh, setting requirements um, because you know rental you know people who own property have certain rights uh, to determine who gets to live where and in their own vetting process uh, that's determined by state law and the constitution as well but you know I think that there is this broader effort to, push for um more social housing which is there there is a bill in the state legislature this year that is for the first time bringing up the idea of publicly funded housing for not just the very lowest income people but for all you know any you know middle you know uh, income people as well to take advantage of that would be uh funded you know uh, built by the government but um a little bit more uh, financially secure because they're funded by uh, people who pay a, a range of, of rents and and have the capacity to pay a range of rents, and so that's a very interesting idea. Um, there are very good models in other countries uh, where this works very well in um, Austria and in uh, Singapore and other places. It hasn't really been tried in the United States, um, but we'll see what happens with this state le- You know this this legislation and where that goes, but there is certainly a cry out there for more affordable housing or or housing that people can actually afford.
2: Absolutely. Lisa, a lot of folks are in that situation. Thanks very much for highlighting that. Let's go now to Los Angeles and Sharon, you're next.
0: Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having this program. Um, I had a
1: question for Mr. Martin. I was wondering if there's legislation being considered now um, uh for example assembly bill 71 that he thinks
0: might solve some of the problems that were highlighted in the audit report
2: christopher do you know what ab71 is of
1: course um, <laughs> so, um AB, that's your job AB yeah of course uh and uh ab71 is um kind of building off an effort to to accomplish a lot of the goals that the state auditor pointed out you know most notably um, it, it gets at some of the efforts around the authority for the coordinating council um, and the ability of the coordinating council to do a lot of those efforts. But it also includes a lot of work in there around, you know, um, getting at what what the audit, call you know, pointed out in, in terms of assessing need and gaps in our, our system, um, both locally and at the state. And so I know that bill would, would require locals to do some uh, both a needs uh, and gaps analysis, but also uh, having the state do that and set metrics and goals, which was something the audit really pointed out around trying to meet outcomes um, and, and goals around, you know, um, uh, you know, best practices around homelessness and, and, and getting people access to housing. Um, and one of the other, you know, biggest pieces here as it relates to the coordination among agencies, as I mentioned earlier, there's just so many different departments and agencies that touch uh, homelessness. And one of the pieces of seventy-one is to to create a discharge planning protocol for both prisons and hospitals, and you know a, a way to prevent people from from falling into homelessness, which you know is something that that needs to happen with those other state agencies. Um, there, you know, and and AB seventy-one is really an effort from from the state to both provide the resources necessary to to address homelessness at scale, which is something our state's really challenged to do recently. We spend less than a half a percent of our state budget on an issue that that really is the moral crisis of our time. And so, you know, that bill is really looking at providing scalable uh, resources to the need, but also like I talked about, you know, what goes along with resources is also the accountability and the, the coordination efforts to, to meet some, some outcomes and and finally meet measurable goals and, and measurable reductions in, in uh, homelessness for our state. So.
2: Aaron, what would you add?
1: Yeah. Uh-
3: Well, I think what what Chris was alluding to, but maybe didn't say explicitly, was that it calls for um, reforming the corporate tax rate to uh, drum up, um, you know, I think it's to the tune, and and Chris can correct me, but over a billion dollars annually, I believe it's closer to $1.4 billion, um, to provide some ongoing funding for homeless services in the state, which is not something, uh, surprisingly, that although we have, uh, although the state has spent a lot of money on homelessness, over the past three, you know, five years, um, it, there is not a, a single ongoing uh, funding source, or or many, uh, you know, meaningful ongoing funding sources to really address the problem, as Christopher said, at scale. And so, that would be um, certainly a, a critical addition that provides more certainty to providers about, um, you know, assure, you know, assuring them that they're going to be able to render services you know this year and next year and into the future because you know homelessness once you house someone you know you still have to provide uh, ongoing support to them as they're recovering from addiction or finding a job or you know continuing their education and getting on their feet so it's not like you can just provide some money at the out outset and then you're done it requires an ongoing commitment and that's where this ongoing funding comes in
2: all right sharon thanks for that call let's read some listener comments holly writes why build new supportive housing now with covid so many office buildings will remain vacant as work from home is the future how about tax deductions for companies to give their buildings a very at very low cost to housing and services and then Michael writes, uh, "What are the demographics? How many are California residents? How many came from other states? How many are drug-related, mental illness?" Uh, that's a, you know, complicated question, but a lot of people do wonder where homeless folks come from. Are these people who are being evicted? Are they people who come from communities in California where they don't have as many services? You know, maybe it's all of the above. Christopher?
1: Yeah, to the to that That second question, um, you know, um, as I mentioned earlier, most, most, um, of, of people that are falling into homelessness are falling in because of economic hardship. Um, you know, while, while mental health and substance use treatment are are certainly pieces of that, the majority of people that are falling into homelessness for the first time, um, are, are both from California. There's, there's data that shows somewhere to the tune of 80% of, of people experiencing homelessness currently, um are from the state of California or have lived here in the last five years. And so, you know, it, it, it certainly um, is, is uh, California rooted um, in, in terms of where, where people are from um, that are experiencing homelessness. And, and, and you know, we, we have to look at it holistically. We have to include, you know, those substance use treatment, that mental health treatment. Um, the workforce development piece, but but really, what we're seeing right now is that people are falling in from from economic hardship, and and the cost of living here in California is just so high, and uh, and when people don't necessarily have a safety net to fall in upon, you know, their one you know major hospital bill or you know um, uh, economic you know um, payment away from from falling into homelessness, and so you know that that's kind of where where we're seeing the the challenge play out.
2: Another comment here. Greg writes, sort of along the same lines California, proud bastion of liberal progressivism, is so ruthless in its abandonment of the homeless. How does the per capita homeless rate in California compare to other states, which actually care for their homeless? I'm not sure folks would agree with that. Uh, it may not be. It may be that the policies aren't working as well, but uh, there, there does seem to be a fair amount of compassion. Some say too much. Aaron? By, the, by that, I mean, there are people, I, there's another uh, listener here who writes, I live on Russian Hill, used to walk my two dogs to the farmer's market. Now I walk through blocks of tents, feces, needles, crazy people yelling. Uh, why do my tax dollars pay for hotels for homeless people? When do we just say no? Just saying what most San Franciscans are thinking. So there is there is that uh, sort of fatigue, isn't there, of dealing with this issue, even as we have a growing homeless problem and a, you know, a lack of solutions and funding for them.
3: One of the things that I think is very characteristic about homelessness in California is that it's very visible, right? So uh, 151,000 people who are homeless uh, at the last time that the state did this biennial uh, survey in 2019, most of them, about 100,000 were unsheltered. So those people sleeping in cars and tents, RVs, um, in encampments, places that aren't meant for regular habitation. And that's not the case everywhere. Um, In New York, for example, there is a right to shelter. So the state is required to, uh, at least in New York City, required to uh, put people into uh, emergency shelters and have enough shelters available for everyone. And if there aren't enough shelters, they actually put people into hotel rooms um, all the time, not just during the pandemic. Um, That right to shelter does not exist in California. There is an effort. Uh, there was a bill introduced last year uh, to have a, a right to housing in California. Um, it uh, did not pass. It's, it's going, you know, it's, it's being worked on. It's a very big bill. Um, it would, you know, change our constitution likely um, and would be a massive commitment from the state. But I think there is a movement to uh, think about a right to shelter or a right to housing in California um, and that would be a very a big shift politically in California.
2: Yeah. And Aaron, you know, uh, as you say, homelessness is very visible in, in cities, places like Los Angeles, Oakland, uh, certainly, uh, San Francisco as well. Is there a place in California, whether it's a city or some a county, whatever, that's, that seems to be doing it really well, that's doing things right?
3: Well, there are... Um, there are a sort of shining lights out there, um, particularly I'm thinking about uh, Bakersfield, Kern County, which has achieved functional zero uh, chronic homelessness. So that's people who have been homeless for more than a year um, or on and off for over three years. And um, what that count that that, you know, region did um, was that they really uh, brought Uh, that they got the data that they needed um, to really focus on uh, the individuals in their region who were suffering from chronic homelessness and were able to begin to house them very quickly. And it was because they coordinated their services, because they started collecting the data they needed, identifying what was lacking, and actually had weekly meetings where they would look at a group of 20 people and say, Okay, how do we get these 20 people into housing as quickly as possible and and they were able to do it and so you know it's a remarkable example of uh, what can happen when folks are working together when they are sharing data and when that level of communication is present where they can really target the resources that necessary to get people housed
2: always good to have some successes out there sometimes it seems like these problems are insoluble but uh not, not entirely. There are some places doing a good job, and of course we can learn from those. Erin Baldessari, KQED housing reporter, co-host of Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. Thanks to you, and thanks also to Christopher Martin, policy director at Housing California. Thanks so much.
3: Thanks, Scott. All
2: right, thanks, we're Scott. Gonna, you bet. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to continue talking about homelessness, but it's going to be, in the fictional sense, a new novel from writer Catherine Seligman. It's called At the Edge of the Hate. We'll be right back.